G'day listeners, David here. It's been a while since we've released an episode. We normally try and record on a Thursday night Australian time and get it out for the weekend. The last few weeks have uh, seen a run of both pet and human health problems and getting the team together hasn't been the easiest lately. Things are starting to settle back into that routine and as a thank you for your patience and understanding we decided to release a special we'd recorded a few months ago. We had intended for this episode to go behind a paywall because we truly believe the content was that good. But given the circumstances over these last few weeks, we wanted to give something back to you, the loyal listener, for sticking with us. Next week, fingers crossed, we're back into that rhythm of things, just in time for the season opener in Hareth. Enjoy this episode, folks. It changed my perspective on many things that happen in the MotoGP paddock. Hopefully it does the same for you. Stay safe. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very, very special Pacino Report. This is one that the uh, Pacino Report team have been waiting a long time to put together for you. Finally, uh, an evening where we can get the four of us around a round table and discuss what is often the elephant in the room in MotoGP circles. It's the uh, Valentino Marquez special episode. So thank you so much for uh, essentially coming over the wall through the paywall and uh, getting some insight into a very, very uh, interesting and deep conversation that we've prepared for you uh, for this uh, podcast. We've got the usual crowd uh, in front of me tonight. Uh, we've got uh, Andrew from Adelaide. How are you, my dear? Hello. How are you going? Hi, everyone. We've got Stu in Brisbane as usual. What's up, everybody? And Manuel from Casa Pacino. Hola, hola to everybody. Welcome to our podcast. We finally convinced Manuel to do this one. There was some, there was some toing and froing over the last couple of weeks, and there's some some arming and ahhing, and we we managed to uh, convince him that uh, this was the way to go. So, as you would have heard over the last couple of weeks, and especially in some of the most recent podcasts on on the normal podcast that uh, we're producing. There's been a couple of moments where Manuel has pulled up short uh, on the comments, and I can only reassure you during this one is that um, yeah, Manuel's going to be blazing with all guns on this one. He said, <laughs> um, he, he's Don't fully stop. prepared. He's fully prepared and uh, yeah, and, and willing to willing to go the distance. Just on I that, I'm just champing gonna... at the bit to hear it. Everyone's champing at the bit to hear this. I, I can just feel the pre- anticipation. There's this real serious, <laughs> like energy happening. Yeah, we're normally all jovial. <laughs> I just wanted to give the crowd a, a bit of a heads up as well. It said it was. We don't want to put an adversarial tone on this conversation because this isn't um, Rossi v Marquez uh, in this conversation. This is very much an analysis uh, of the two of them, um, where they've come from, where they are, and where they're going. Whilst there may be some animosity and some uh, friction at times between some of their fans, this isn't going to be the place to do it. This is going to be uh, Manuel giving some some insight that you are never going to get anywhere else into how Valentino works and how Mark works. With the added bonus of having a Rossi superfan and a Marquez superfan <laughs> in the room with him, just to balance the equation out a little bit. Well, if you two need to step outside, um, Manuel and I will I'll watch the fort for a little while while you sort it out. <laughs> just to make it a little spicy, because it wouldn't be the Pacino report without just a little bit of spice. Because over the years, Stu, we have gone a, we have gone the odd biff over uh, Rossi and Marquez, yeah, haven't we? Yeah, we have indeed. And, and look, 
Throughout the years of, of yours and mine friendship, Dave, for, for everybody out there, I've, Dave and uh, myself have known each other quite a few years now. Um, we, we're not co-located. We're in different areas in Australia. So we, we talk remotely most of the year. We tend to get together once a year, and that's in October in Phillip Island, to get together and go and watch the GP. And you can bet your bottom dollar that this conversation culminates every year <laughs> on Saturday night about 11, 12 o'clock at night, about 17 or 18 whiskeys down. Yeah. <laughs> so from now on, you can record it, it for the so podcast, hey? That's it. Exactly. Exactly. It's but just for the record, so we've got one clear Marquez fan. Uh, we've got one clear Valentino fan. Andrew, where do you stand? You, obviously from, Are you serious? Um, uh, just for the <laughs> record. Even a just, just, just for the record. Oh, well, I think it's – oh, I can't even answer that. It's Rossi. Okay. But All right. but I'm I'm still fascinated by Marquez yeah. and yeah, but it's that it's like when you watch a football team and you just you can't help who you go for, you get that feeling. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Man, well, I suppose the one that really matters out of the four of us, I mean the three of us are just you know, super fans at, at varying levels, but you're the one who's lived and breathed this for twenty seven years. Where does your heart lie? I'm going to say it after, at the end of our podcast, better. Oh, <laughs> well done. The perfect I, answer. I promise I will say it, but at the end. Okay. He is a professional, isn't he? All right. And with that, <laughs> ding, ding. Let's Neither go. of these two really need an introduction, but we'll just do a brief uh, setting of the stage uh, just to, to just help the listener understand of the two titans um, of MotoGP that we're really dealing with uh, in, in this forum. So first of all, uh, Valentino Rossi, born in February 1979, um, was born in an Italian town of Tuvalo, uh, as you can hear every day in the media. Uh, everything revolves around that town. Net worth about 5 million euro a year, or sorry, salary worth about 5 million euro a year. Net worth, cop this, estimated... A lot of numbers are circling around out there. Estimated mm-hmm. net worth, 140 million US. It's a couple of bickies. This is eye-watering amount. When you put that into comparison, that's one thing that Marquez cannot come near him on. Mm. <laughs> so. And that's what he's declaring for tax purposes. Exactly right. Wow. Yes. Imagine, imagine what's imagine what under the blanket. Well, well uh, regarding this, uh, I have to point that Valentino has paid the highest tax penalty ever. Yep, well, he could afford it, couldn't he? In Italy. Yeah. And it, it was just $22 million. Oh, is that all? Oh, oh is that penalty. all? It's not bad, eh? <laughs> so you should add another 22 to this under then? Yeah, 40, yeah. Is that exactly wow. right. That's, that's, that's barely 10%. <laughs> Jump change. <laughs> Multiple MotoGP world champion. Considered to be one of the greatest, most successful riders of all time. Nine Grand Prix World Championships to his name. Seven are in the Premier class. Started in 1996 and won his first World Championships the following year. This is the thing that really jumped off the page to me. He said, when you put these two riders together, they were almost successful out of the gate. There was no lingering in the minor classes, duking it out through 13th, 10th and working their way up. They were almost successful immediately. The, so the how, how many years did he race in the lower level if he, he got the two championships? Was he there for long? Uh, two years and Three years, years, I think he was in 125. Whoa. Uh, no, sorry, two. Two years. Two, years. two yeah. years and then jumped yeah. to 250 and then won that 
Um, in, he did the, did the same thing graduated. in both lower leagues. He, yeah. he learned the first year and he won it the second year. Off he, go. Off yeah. he learned the yeah. first year and he won the second year. And he was in, and the, he he was in the Premier League by 2000. So in four years, he'd won two world championships and already found himself in, in, the, in, in the major class. Can you compare some of these other riders we've spoken about, like Agostini and these other really standout? Does anyone compare to that, or is he? Agostini's the only one who can who can mm-hmm. hold any uh, heat to the, these two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Agostini, look, in the past, Agostini started racing with eighteen. Yeah, being eighteen years old, uh, Marquez yeah, started old, racing yeah. with four and a half years. Yeah. So imagine he had an advantage mm. of fourteen years racing before. Mm. <laughs> Rossi was in the Premier Championship for two thousand, and he won the World Championship with Honda um, in two thousand and one, two thousand and two, and two thousand and three. He continued that back-to-back win um, when he jumped to Yamaha with two thousand and four and two thousand and five. Had a brief um, pause in his uh, winnings, and then was back in two thousand and eight and two thousand and nine. Uh, 2011 yeah. decided to try his luck at a third manufacturer with 2011, 2012. Didn't quite go um, as planned for Valentino and announced in 2012 uh, that he would Supposed rejoin. To be the dream team, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, to, it was absolutely the dream team. Rejoined Yamaha for 2013 and has since been with them ever since. It, just some of the facts. I had to narrow these down because they just went for pages. But the, the three big ones that really jumped off for me for Valentino. At the end of 2005 MotoGP season, he had won 79 Grand Prix and seven World Championships in nine years. So 79 victories and seven championships mm. in nine years. Yeah, that, that's... What, what uh, how many races that is? Like, 79 oh, victories. So it was, yeah. Sorry, Manuel. Sorry, oh, I'm making people do maths now. Yeah. So. Yes, that was a, a kick in the... In the... <laughs> <laughs> in the leg. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do math. Sorry, yeah. I just saw everyone's brains go. <laughs> yeah. right, we can I, edit that out in post. <laughs> I ain't got the fingers and toes for that. Sorry, everyone. No, I just wanted to say that now when everybody criticised Valentino of not having won a championship since 2009, you know, uh, people forget the good stuff very quickly. People like to hook uh, more on the negative stuff, but what Valentino did in its time was simply amazing. Absolutely. This, this was groundbreaking stuff. Like it was, yeah. I'd, I'd known of some of these numbers, but it wasn't until actually researching this that it all started to come back. And I was like, I remember these, these, pivotal, these golden years where no one had done anything close to this. He was the first rider in uh, MotoGP's 55-year history to take back-to-back victories riding machines from two different manufacturers. Yeah, you know, one of only two riders to win back-to-back titles on different machinery um, other than Eddie Lawson. Um, it's it's yeah. just staggering the, the company that um, Valentino w- was sharing uh, with, with some of these statistics and, and, and his performance. And mm. to be fair, as Valentino said, it has literally taken another decade and a bit for someone to come along who can even put an ounce of of pressure upon some of those numbers. And look, yeah. Mark is, is no slouch himself. 
1993. And Manuel, you're just going to hit me through the microphone for the pronunciation of his hometown of Severa? Yeah, more or less, yes. That was oh, better. Morally, I be- got one. That, no, no, no. That was <laughs> much better than Tabulia. <laughs> much better than Tabu- Valentino's Tabulia. That That's a Lebanese salad with parsley, isn't it? That's what I was, I was making me <laughs> hungry. Tabuli. I was like, I could go some Tabuli right now. Mark's only got a net worth of about $35 million. Um, I'm sure he cries himself to uh, sleep every night. Nannies. <laughs> He needs to sort it out. And this is this is where the similarities really start to to come into play for me. Uh, in his sixth race, the British Grand Prix, when he's on the one two five, he was the youngest rider to ever make it onto a world championship podium. Um, so as I said, immediately out of the gate into the premier uh, class for for the world championship, he's already starting to make his impact. Two thousand and nine, he's the second youngest rider to ever take a pole position in a world championship, and he had his first GP and first world championship in two thousand and ten. Completely clean sweeped uh, the one two five, so it was two years, and he'd done it. He'd taken the one two five. Uh, two thousand and ten, uh, world championship at seventeen, and he took a ten victories and twelve pole positions out of a seventeen um, race season. So what are you looking at? Two years again, he'd moved up, uh, runner up. For Moto2 in 2011, um, 2012, Moto2 world champion, and then his stunning debut as MotoGP, um, taking uh, his first podium uh, at Qatar, and it just rolls on from there. Here's some facts for Marquez. Eight-time world champion, plus six in, uh, two in Moto, one in 125 as it was then, one in Moto2, plus six in MotoG. GP and was the youngest rider ever to be crowned king of the premier class. During the 2014 season, he totaled 13 victories. This is the most that's ever been won in one single season. And, and I hate to see that record go because it was held by mm. Australia's own Mick Doohan. Yeah, that um, was 10 in a row in 2014, wasn't it? Uh, it says here 13. In, he told, he in a row. 13 victories, but 10 in a row, yeah. Yeah, 10 in a row, yeah. 24 years, 268 days old, took the record from Mike Hayward, who was the youngest uh, to win four premier classes. Four premier classes, mm-hmm. and it was the youngest. And he was also the first rider in the 69 history of the sport to win at least five races a season. So five races a season for eight years in a row. Yeah. Like, put that one <laughs> in your mind. So for eight years, yep. you know, some riders will go an entire a career and, and, and pin one victory. And he's pulling five of them off mm. minimum for eight years. Every year. So, yep. uh, Dave, this figures is an introduction of what we are going to meet. Absolutely. Two. These, are, these are two titans of, of, of the sport. It says you, when you compare these two with who is gritting up with them at the start of every race, they have some – some good statistics for their peers, but these two are the absolute behemoths. They are the the, the, the silverback gorillas um, for the JP. Manuel? The clash between them two was something that could f- be foreseen clearly because, they, as you say, mm. they are two titans. You know, it, yeah. it, they, can, they could not li- live together without sparks. Yeah. It was impossible that, to. Yeah, absolutely yeah, right. When, yeah. when you look, when you just just looking at the numbers, not not knowing the history, you can easily imagine what is going to happen. 
Mm. Absolutely right. King Kong versus Godzilla, isn't it? Immovable object versus (laughs) the unstoppable force. Are we sure that um, Mark isn't like a love child of Rossi's or something that we haven't, we don't know about yet? (laughs) The numbers could line up. (laughs) (laughs) Manuel's looking to his notes just to see if it is possible. (laughs) And did Dave, did you notice something about uh, when's Marquez's birthday compared to uh, Valet's birthday as well? There you go. See, only one day apart. I know Andrew's been doing some research on this. We did. I was trying to, um, I went, thought I'd do a bit of research on there because obviously with my experience, I thought I'd do a bit of research on their star signs instead, instead <laughs> to try and learn about their personalities, you know, in a more, in a more, um, I was about to say, an acad- manner. thank you. I was about to say academic manner just to make a joke. Anyway. Yeah. So Rossi's the 16th of February, 1979 and Mark is the 17th of February. So I had a look at that and went, crap, is that why they're so similar? The same star sign? I have to tell you this, actually, Dave and I had a chuckle about this. I was looking up um, personality traits of Aquarius, and a lot of it was more relationship based. But it did. <laughs> I did learn. <laughs> I did learn that Aquarians like to have their ankles and calves touched. It's quite a, <laughs> an erotic thing for them. But um, as Dave liked to point out, Mark does like to touch Rossi's ankles, but only with the tires of his bike. Yes, but anyway, if I can just quickly. Um, I've got a special book that I like to, it's like a coffee table book that I like to share with people about certain birthdays and what they mean about you as a person. So is there, can I take a few minutes now just to yeah, see if, yeah, yeah, before, sure. before you let too much, because I'm curious now, um, Manuel can confirm or deny if these, if these facts are true. <laughs> can we call them facts? <laughs> okay. So Rossi is the February the 16th. They like spontaneity and they dislike plodding along. Um, once something's brought into existence, they require other people to help maintain it. If something isn't going well, they get quite discouraged. February 16, people display positive orientation towards life. They like things being uncomplicated, honest and direct. They treat their friends and associates. Um, they're very accepting regardless of their background or um you know, with what they do for them, but they can be hard on individuals who um, try to dictate to them or are a bit condescending or towards sort of like the, a weaker person or animals, that kind of thing. Does that sound at all like, is that, could no. that be accurate, Manuel? For... Well, well uh, the, the first thing you said is that they get discouraged when the things don't work? Yep. Yeah. Oh, this is completely not the case. Oh. The, you know, I, was, the... so I, I thought my book had the truth <laughs> then. <laughs> <laughs> One characteristic of both is that they are they never give up. If mm-hmm. in front of any problem, they the game they play the game forward, you know? They push forward. Yeah. Yep. The rest was... the rest maybe, but this uh Starting with this sentence, I basically switched off, didn't listen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I struggled myself. I was trying to just read the words. <laughs> I did notice too that John McEnroe, the tennis player, he was also born on the 16th of February and Michael Jordan is born on February the 17th. So there's a few high-level sports people. Can I, I'll just quickly tell you a couple of That'd quick things. That'd be hell of a party. Can you imagine? Imagine McEnroe, Jordan, Rossi <laughs> and Marquez in the room. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that would get crazy! I love Iron a bit of John talent. McEnroe. He's—I think John McEnroe is my spirit animal. Um, so February, February the seventeenth, people—they're very sensitive, but they develop a tough armor early so that they can go out into battle in the world. I feel like that could be fitting. 
Um, they don't like to be interrupted on their quest for self-fulfillment, sometimes ignoring more desirable contact to avoid distraction because they're more about self-development and all that kind of thing. Girls is a race direction slowing them down. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, that's all I've got. Hey, I'm just going to go now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually think it was. I actually think it was a good counterpoint. We, 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 we've done the analytics. Um, we, we've dived into some of the, of, of, of the softer uh, side of the two riders. Mm. What that brings us to is is the work that Manuel's done. And from what we've seen, there's you've actually got a what I can see a seven points. Um, by which you you want to sort of work through the valet mark discussion. So I'm keen to hand over to Manuel on this one. Manuel, where do we start pulling this one apart from a journalist point of view? Uh, where do we start? Well, I, my, my idea was going, what you explained, going through the different phases that, in my mm-hmm. opinion, uh, Marcus has uh, gone through. So because uh, the reference point is clearly Valentino, okay, who was there. So what we are going through is how Mark has uh, evolved, evolved? Evolved. Yeah, evolved in the relationship with Valentino. And it's quite interesting. And for me, it's a a check play, you know? And at the end, look, the last of these uh, points, the headline I had for this... uh, story was the first i had in my mind fro- was from devotion to the clash to the clash right mm-hmm. but i think that it would be better is from devotion to frustration yeah and meaning frustration when we talk about marcus and these amazing figures is something that maybe sounds strange but i think that's exactly the point where marcus is at regarding Valentino Rossi. Mm. So do you think there's an element of um, it doesn't really matter how much Marquez achieves in the sport, the fact that Rossi has achieved so much before him, Marquez will always feel like that shadow is over him and so that's why perhaps he has to keep trying harder and harder and harder. Does that mean he understands how his brother feels now? (laughs) That's what I was going to get to. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. You could see where I was going with that, Andrew. Come on. Yep. You know, the, the thing is that you have to think that Marquez has achieved everything he wants. But the goal, his real goal, who is Valentino Rossi, he hasn't achieved. Mm. And As Rossi was probably chasing someone, I guess there was someone he was trying to be better than overall. No, at, 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 when Rossi arrived, there wasn't somebody dominating the championship, you see. But was there uh, a record to beat? Was there a... Uh, no, no, again, uh, Rossi came in a time where the championship was looking for somebody to uh, substitute Dylan Mick had Duhan, retired. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So there were two years where two set champions won the championship, and one of them, mm-hmm. a Spaniard and an American. But the yep. thing is that Marquez has achieved so many records, you know, youth records, all type of records, that mm. there is one that he Whatever he does, he can't uh, get it. But this I prefer to tell again at the end. I think we should go through the story. <laughs> Absolutely. So okay. let's do it. Let's let's kick it off. I suppose the question for you is that you know Valentino as as a kid idol. I said, 
where does a where does a journalist take that conversation? Oh yes, look, because when when all this misunderstanding happened between Valentino and Marquez, came out the story that uh, Marquez, as a kid, had a poster of Valentino Rossi in his room. You know, in in the time, uh, this was probably. 90% of the kids in Spain had a poster of Valentino Rossi in their room because sport, motorcycle sport was number two sport in Spain for a long, many, many years mm-hmm. before the pay-per-view TV came in. But everyone knew who was Valentino. Every kid, every kid, I mean, every six-year-old kid knew who, were, who was Valentino and they had a poster. And in fact, I have uh, friends that were in, in uh, Marcus' room, and there was the poster. And probably the poster was there until the first big clash in 2015. From right. that on, I don't know what, what happened. Probably <laughs> that poster is Probably got for, darts in for, it. Or from, from, from at the back. <laughs> so at, at the beginning, it was a, a myth. Valentino was a myth for, for Marcus. This is phase one and very clear, okay? Hmm. This was at a time when every you're right. Everyone I knew that was involved in anything that was two wheels had some form of mosque or celebration um, in in some part of their house towards Valentino Rossi. Um, mm. It was it was a shrine. This was when the Italian racing was at its at its peak, though. It said that the Spanish hadn't come through yet to assert their dominance in any real. Uh, fashion is that would that be a fair statement? Yeah, exactly, exactly. The dominance. There were times of the Capirossis, the Biaggi's. Yeah, there were flashes. The Valentinos. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, the Spaniards weren't in this moment as they are now, far, far away from as they are now. Okay, then let's let's move forward from the devotion that he felt uh, for Valentino as a kid. Then uh, I think the phase two, uh, we should call it the admiration. Mm-hmm. We are thinking in a Mark Marquez that already used to race, and especially the Mark Marquez who arrives at the championship with 16 years old. Okay? Mm. So Marquez uh, arrives as a talented kid. He was 16, but he looked like a 12 uh, old uh, year kid. He was so small. He, did. he still does, but yeah. <laughs> no, but he was really small. He was racing with an extra weight on his bike, 25, 30 kilos. Right, yeah. Imagine this, how small he was. Mm-hmm. So the first yeah. thing Valentino did, uh, Valentino, no, Mark did when he arrived at the championship was asking to meet Valentino. Okay? And, uh, you know, at that time, Marquez was sponsored by... I don't know. You know Scalextric? Do you have Scalextric? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, yes, good. Yeah, yeah. He was sponsored by Scalextric. And Scalextric mm-hmm. had made a replica of Valentino's uh, Subaru. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he used he in, yep. in the rally right, raced rally raced in Australia. Yeah. Yep. So uh, Marquez, as a kid, a very shy kid, he asked to, to be introduced to Valentino. So uh, the photographer who used to travel with me in the past and was a good friend of Valentino went with Marquez to meet Valentino. And look, the conversation between them two was is one of these things that is fantastic and it remains in this story one of the... So when, when he arrived, so Marquez arrived, Valentino obviously had already heard about Marquez because Marquez came with 
uh, with some noise, okay? He was very fast. So when he met Valentino with his smile, hey, so you are, you are Mark. Ah, I have heard about you. Imagine Mark red, mm -hmm. you know, red and shy yeah, yeah, and with yeah, a voice like, yeah, 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 like a kid, you know. Yeah, yeah, but it was really funny. when you And then Valentino, who is always super nice and, you know, with everybody. So Valentino asked him, oh, well, I have heard about you. How are, how are the people treating you in the championship, right? Valentino, how are the people treating you? And the other said, well, well, very, very good, very good. And then Valentino says, <laughs> "It's a good impression. <laughs> it's a good impression of <laughs> Attention, what Valentino says. Okay, Mark, if you have any problem, come to me, because in this paddock I have a lot of power. No, wow. he didn't say All that. Right. Valentino like told this to Mark. Yep. Yeah, like you know, like saying, Not "Here I am. Here I am, the king." So yeah. come to me like the Godfather. Come to me. I was going to say, I this, is, this is the, this is the Marlon Brando move. Yeah. <laughs> so imagine this situation. So it was fantastic, you know? So obviously, mm -hmm. this helped also. We will see how maybe this sentence was registered by Mark in a special way. I have a lot of power in this paddock. Come to mm -hmm. me. Remember this. Okay. Psychological warfare. He, because. The next phase we go to is uh, we do a kind of, a, how do you say, a break? Uh, yes, a break. And yep. we, we talk about how Mark and his manager both together used uh, Valentino as a model to get where they wanted. Okay? Mm. So the model started how? The model started that they didn't change the category until they won the championship. They had very clear, yep. we don't move from one class to another until we win the championship. They won the 125, moved to 250, two year, uh, to Moto2. Two years in Moto2, moved to, to MotoGP. But not only yep. this, they studied perfectly how Valentino did everything. How did he uh, manage with the press, how he organized the team, everything, everything. Just to jump back to the Moto2 team, Manuel, did a bit of research into that um, KTM outfit. That was a factory KTM outfit. That was that was basically hand-built for Mark, that uh, team. That didn't exist prior. So, no, you, you mean 125, right? Oh, so I thought, the, I thought his 250 team was built around him. Yeah, no, everything was yeah, built around him. Look, remember, another important thing, Normally, a team is uh, has two riders. Yeah, Marquez had always a team for himself. That's what I'm saying. Like it was always custom along the way for him. Yeah, yeah, because they had very clear how to do it and the step. If they wanted nobody to disturb Marquez to upset him inside the garage, you know, they wanted. They are, They were creating. Gotcha. The 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 figure of Mark. So it was nothing was like ah we. Everything was very well planned. I imagine at, at the first time by his manager and then with Mark. Okay. They, as you said, they were very much using Valentino as the model for that, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, they were absolute model. They, yeah. Valentino, look, after what you explained of these uh, seven titles in nine years, yeah. mm. uh, it was clear who had they, to whom they have to look at. Yes. Yep. Right? Yep. Not okay. a silly plan. So the this, next is, this is the plan, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and he arrived in MotoGP, and as we said jokingly at the beginning, as soon as he arrives in MotoGP, it's like the unstoppable force meeting the immovable object. It yeah, was, but, but uh, it, Stu, it it, when, when he arrives in MotoGP, something very interesting happens. Because trying to copy Valentino's, um, Valentino's how, uh, model, mm -hmm. when he arrives in, in HRC, in Honda, he tells Honda, I want my people, the same people I won with in Moto2, I want them in MotoGP. Okay? So imagine, he arrives in the best team of the world with no experience and saying, trying to impose his situation. Yeah. Honda, Honda said, no. <laughs> Honda said, look, you are a rookie. The people you are trying to bring over, they don't have an idea of how a MotoGP team works. They mm -hmm. might have been good in Moto2, but they have no experience in MotoGP. And you are the rookie. Okay, nobody could expect what was coming to happen later. So what happened? They pushed, pushed, pushed. At the end, they allowed him to put two of his Moto2 people in the crew. Just two. Mm -hmm. And who were they? What, what, what roles Santi, were they? Santi have to be one of them. I don't know. I really don't know. I'm sorry, but I don't know if they were just uh, mechanics or I don't mm -hmm. think that they were uh, because uh, his uh, crew chief in Moto2 I think they couldn't put him on his side because he had absolutely no experience. He didn't know electronics. He didn't know nothing. Lost. Okay. So, of course, he could not handle or manage the team. If he were there, which I really haven't checked, it would be more like uh, assessing, but not managing the team because he had no experience. Okay. So this happens in 2013. In 2013, as we know, he surprised everyone by beating, not only by winning the championship, but beating all the youth records that were in hands of Freddie Spencer and all these myths, right? So he wins the championship and then look what happens. After winning the championship, his, managers, his manager tells him, you are in, in the position to screw the Japanese. So tell them that wow. now okay. you want your crew mm -hmm. with, this, with the, the, the power that has given him winning the championship yeah. in that way and having shown the Japanese what he was capable to do, he stepped forward and said, uh, uh, now the one who says, puts the rule, it's, it's me. So mm -hmm. he took all his crew inside the garage and most of the rest of the crew who had won the championship with Casey Stoner was kicked out of the garage. Yep. <laughs> wow. And, so, and Andrew, during so, this time, so in the first year or two when Marquez came into MotoGP, and, and Manuel, again, you've got a lot of insight here, so you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but from a, just a fan on the outside looking in, it looked like that rivalry between Rossi and Marquez was it was a strong rivalry, but it seemed quite respectful and fair. It seemed that Rossi, you know, he'd shake his hand at the end of a race, he'd give him a hug. Um, there was a few moves, you know, like in two thousand and eight, Rossi went up the inside of Stoner on the on the the corkscrew at Laguna Seca, and then in two thousand and thirteen, Marquez did exactly the same thing to Rossi, you know, just to, just to show him he could do it as well. Um, but it, it, everything seemed to be quite respectful during that time. Still, is is that a fair comment? 
Yeah, 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 no, respect that existed, but uh, look, Valentino, I know him very well. And he already knew what the arrival of Marcus meant, okay? And we, as we have spoken before starting our recording, with the perspective that the times, time gives, in 2013, we had some flashes about what was coming, what was arriving, right? Yeah. And uh, this, uh, the best example of that was what happened in Laguna Seca. Remember, mm. uh, a few years before, Valentino did an overpassing on Casey Stoner in Laguna Seca, which the whole world, or at least the whole motorcycle world, uh, celebrated like something extraordinary, right? <laughs> what did Marcus well, do? Well, I think they were polarized. People, people either loved it or hated it. Yeah, I was yeah but say, it's, that it, was it. Yeah. Which side of the TV you were watching that one from um, yeah. is hotly debated. <laughs> well, uh, t- talking with three Australians, I think I, I put it in a wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the line's gone really bad, man. Well, we've lost uh, it. Yeah. Oh, well. I should have said, this bastard, this Italian bastard. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> bastardo. 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 It was an audacious move. It's yeah, crazy. but anyhow, in 2013, in his first year, Marquez did the same on Valentino. It was like a declaration what, that we didn't realize very well, but now with the perspective, we know that it was the first message. And I, I mm. tell you something. I'm sure that if there is anybody who got that message was Valentino. So these guys, because I think about riders going out and they just focus on winning the race. Is it? Is this, a, obviously, these two guys stand out more, but is it very common that they go out gunning for a person or an individual rather than the majority must go out and just want to win, don't they? Or Look, Andra, at this point, the, the level of these guys is so high. It's like we mentioned McEnroe in them, okay? Mm. In an individual sport, what makes the difference is the mental war let's say okay yeah, using yeah. a term that maybe is not yep. the best but this is me- pure mental but it is. pure mental mm-hmm. yeah it is the same and, and in the mountain pass on a message and yeah and so valentino who is very jealous of or was very jealous of his position mm-hmm. and here i have to write a comma in fact he never th- when he was reigning he didn't allow allowed any other Italian rider grow, you know? Mm-hmm. He cut yep. the grass around him. But this is normal. He took all the sun, didn't he? Exactly. Yep. Okay. But then even with Mark, he probably took him under his wing and didn't really think this guy was ever going to be a threat because he didn't have ah, anyone. Ah, no, no, Andra. He knew it perfectly okay. what was, the tsunami that was going coming. So okay. what, did, what did he do? Valentino is everything but stupid. What did he do? He invited, after this season... In 2014, he invited Mark Marquez to his uh, training ranch in Italy. Why? To study him, to understand his personality, <laughs> to, uh-huh. to understand how he, which breakfast he had in the morning, to understand everything of him. Do you think that would have gone both ways, though? I mean, one of the standouts for me was watching some of the big Marquez races was his first race in MotoGP in Qatar. And if you look at that, he was towed, in some of the qualifying sessions, Pedrosa towed him around. Um, and you could see that 
Mark was soaking up and learn, trying to learn as quickly as possible Look, of, I, of, of how to operate at that level. And then I think that came out in the race where he actually finished ahead of Pedrosa. Um, so I, I put that as one of, of Mark's strengths. Look, is it, he's done it ever since. Edra, I have been told by Mark is talking. He, has to, he told me, look, in the first year, I could have won much more races. I have, could have been in front much more laps. But mm-hmm. it was a season to learn. Yeah. To learn, Very to learn, good. to learn, to stay behind. Yeah. I could have just passed them. And I don't remember if he, re- he referred to the first or the first two seasons. But he raced different than he races now because he was learning. Have to respect that, especially for someone so young. Sucking everything. Yeah, that's incredible. That he had in front of him. But yeah. these these guys are different. There are mm-hmm. uh, racing animals. And so they, uh, look, I, have, I think I have told you before, these guys about racing, they know everything because they are racing since they were four. So you nobody can cheat them. Uh, racing-wise, maybe they go in the normal civil uh, life and they get cheated by the first person. But in yeah. s- <laughs> related to racing, nobody. Okay? Yeah. So yeah, uh, going quickly back. So then we have Valentino trying to to understand Marquez. And I'm sure that Marquez knew that what Valentino was trying to do. And he went to the ranch perfectly, you know, not, not like just a kid. Ha ah, he has invited me. He knew. And probably, probably Marcus took more out of that uh, mm-hmm. uh, stay yeah. in the ranch than vice versa. Yeah. And yeah, probably behaved differently. Yeah, probably. And oh, interesting. It's like two cowboys sitting there with their gun under the table at each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's one barbecue you'd take your uh, wow. good beer to. You wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't take the cheap oh. beer. No, I take the light beer so I can remember every single little thing. So, so imagine that at this time we are talking about 2014, right? Second mm-hmm. season, the relationship was looking from outside like, wow, the king and the the king gives his okay to the how do you say the one who is going to the prince. Um, yeah, the prince, the incumbent. This yeah. is the one who is going to take my throne. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm going to pass my throne, not take my throne. Yeah, but with what my happened? With my blessing. What happened? Yeah. The prince assaulted the throne. Yeah. <laughs> right? Okay. So so coming coming back to your list, so we've started with obviously devotion that, that um, Mark had for Valet as a kid and then the admiration where he used him as a reference uh, and then we've got him taking Valet's model um, the, all, all around not just the team but how he's operated um, in order to follow it, and then the challenge of him arriving in MotoGP. David, then, l- l- sorry to interrupt you. Uh, there is another thing that is funny. You 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 know, up to the point, they copied the uh, fan club, the model oh, really? of the fan club. The, they uh, made it a bit obvious, didn't they? It sounds like it was quite clear that... Yeah, but look, Andra, the, the Marquez uh, uncle... Who runs the mm-hmm. Marquez fan club? He went. He was invited into Tabulia to Valentino's oh, right. village, and uh-huh. the people from the Valentino club explained him exactly how he, what he should do, how he should do uh, to get a strong uh, fan club. 
you know, they just had how, a voice recorder and went, yes, thank you very much. The, the advertising, everything, because the relationship was, okay, this is the one to mm. whom I am going to give my throne. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yep. So, sport-wise, it, it was, it took, uh, like we say in Spain, zero comma for Marquez to beat uh, Rossi, right? Very mm -hmm. zero comma. It was like done, right? Yep. But then at a certain point, it was not enough for Marquez. You know, winning was not yes, enough. Exactly. He was mm -hmm. he is ambitious. He is uh, young, so he wanted to turn in the real number one. Mm. Because do we agree that with Valentino, winning doesn't meant to be the number one of the sport? Of course. I don't know. Yeah, you must because, explain that to me. Yeah, everywhere it. we go, everywhere we go. Mot look, MotoGP is Valentino's house. Mm. Everywhere we go around the world, eighty percent, eighty or even more of the people you see on the track wear Valentino cap, Valentino T-shirt. There is only yellow around. Everything they are forty-six, and he hasn't won since two thousand and nine the championship. Mm. So for markets was so frustrating. And this is, uh, well, I speak like it was under, I imagine, but looking at the context, so frustrating, winning, beating all the records, winning, winning, mm -hmm. winning, winning. But he's not, he has, he still was not the number one in the paddock. He still yeah. can't get the Because you look the up in the stands the and the, his yeah. presence is still there. Yeah. yeah. yeah and you're starting to sway me here because I can, yeah, just that. And I don't know Rossi's story when he started, but it seems like he had a pretty easy path and he just went and it was his uh, feel for Mark because it sounds like he's had it harder. Well, Rossi's fighting. pretty – you put the two of them together. No. And, I, and I know Stu uses the term pretty frequently of, you know, the robot for Marquez, but Valentino has some natural charisma that he that he bought with him. He's, he's got you know, good machismo, good charisma. Um, oh, yeah. It says, but – Mark can sometimes be cold in that regard, so I think that does hurt him at times. Yo, look, th there is a term that I think we have to bring out that is empathy. Does this yes. exist yep. in English? Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, uh, Valentino is co is such an em empathic person. Yes, like, he, I would never he, repeat he's, that. He's natural. That's from look, what saying. The Valentino you see in the in the press conferences, that's him. Okay. Which doesn't mean that he's a good person. <laughs> he's just an open person. Okay, just, we are talking about. But yeah, he's he enjoys life. He laughs. He's fun. He's what we imagine of an Italian, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. In this uh, regarding Marquez, for me, Marquez, he he, I really don't know how to understand him. But the feeling I get is that behind this eternal smile, there is a made image. You understand? Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. Ma Mark is a nice guy, okay? But I don't know if, if it's what is heavier in his personality, his ambitious or his nice being. Right, yep. I, I saw and an, an interview. Me, look, a couple, sorry, Sue, it was just really quick one. I saw an interview a couple of years ago on the um, traveling medical team that goes around with MotoGP with Dr. Costa. Um, and it was, they were putting, it was fairly five, six years ago, and they were putting heart rate monitors on all the riders. And I was saying, um, you know, it was when Maverick had just entered with um, Suzuki and 
Mavericks renowned for his low heart rate at, at you know 100 110 when he's racing but they're saying that Valentino's when he was racing was exceptionally low Dr Costa said that when he looked at the results uh, Valentino when he was racing was racing with the heart of a child um, because that, and I thought that was a great analogy of how he felt Rossi took his racing he wasn't there for, but uh, David, he, he, you, he, you, you take care with what Dr. Costa says because he's in the same club than Stu when he smokes that broccoli. You know? <laughs> 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 Dr. Costa really sometimes he seems to have fallen from the tree and hit the with uh, the head. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, I just thought it was a, if for someone who yeah, is not traditionally aligned with with Valentino, even I took away with yeah, I kind of understand what he was trying to say that that Valentino was there for more than a world title. Valentino was more than there for the the results and the statistics. He was there because there was a small child who loved in, yeah. loved enjoying racing, and I think that it, shows. it comes back to that discussion that we had when we were talking about. Ago and and like uh, when um when when some of those guys stopped winning, it was like well now I have to stop racing because the fun's no there anymore, not there anymore. When the when the journalists are saying hey you haven't won a race in two years, well like, that's it I have to stop racing. But with valet it, it seems to be well I don't care if I'm winning or not I'm having fun and that's what I'm here for. Look, it's very important. Uh, it's not about what we are talking about, but we, look. There are riders like Valentino that we know that he loves motorcycling. No? He loves, and we know all we all know this. Marquez also likes motorcycle racing. Jorge Lorenzo just likes racing. He doesn't like yeah. motorcycle. You know? Huh. So these are different types of some are just competitors, but Valentino mm. is a motorcycle fan. I, I can't, yeah. I can't, I can't let this opportunity go, Manuel. I'm actually going to bring this back for another dig at Stu. So you've got these guys. <laughs> Why not? You've, you've got these guys. You've got these guys that who you know they just love riding and you know they just love the competition. I'm going to put this straight back into Stu's court with Carl Fogarty in one of his most favourite quotes. So a world champion at a superbike level did not like riding a bike, did not like okay. racing a bike, absolutely loathed the sport. Yet it was mm-hmm. something that he found out that he was particularly good at. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can't, I can't argue with any of that, David. You're exactly right. It's, it's okay. And he yeah. won. Couldn't, couldn't and stand he the sport won. and everything. And he won. He was a world champion. Yeah. yeah. Couldn't stand the amazing. sport. That's amazing. <laughs> okay. Now let, let's move forward. We are going to the big clash. Okay. Until now, everything looks looked like a fairy tale. La la la, mm. the violins in the in the back and everything, <laughs> yep. fantastic. So okay. in, in your in your in your list of seven building. seven phrases, Manuel, where where are we up to? We've been through devotion, admiration, modeling, challenge. Yes, we remember twelve. We are we have finished the second year of Valentin of Marquez in the championship. Yep, so twice. 2013, 2014. So and we have seen that uh, we imagine that. For market winning was not enough. Okay, so the next uh, phase was assaulting the throne. Okay, and True. this happened yep. in twelve fifteen. Valentino already knew very well the the what Marquez meant. He knew very well what Marquez meant, and he had an urgency to win his tenth championship. Mm-hmm. It was very urgent because the following year 
the championship would change the the tire provider. Absolutely. Right. Okay. Yep. That's and right. Valentino knew this is knew or thought at that time that this was his very last chance to win his tenth title. So mm. Valentino went out that year uh, with all. Do we want to? Yep. Do we want to scratch that one of just how it may have benefited Valentino previously to that, or not what? Um, benefited some of his competitors prior to that? Benefited in which sense? I don't get it. Sorry. Well, there were the rumors that there were, you know, the rumors that Valentino was getting custom Michelins flown in while he was in Le Mans and 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 um, situations. Oh yes, like yes. That. This this was not a secret at that yeah. time. But this is a long, long story. At that time, Michelin did tires uh, between Saturday night and Monday morning and Friday yeah. and sa- Sunday morning. Okay. Mm-hmm. But so this t- is 2015. That was Valentino could see that the writing was on the wall for that. Um, it was drying up. Yeah, for that favoritism. Well, this uh, we can feel three or four podcasts <laughs> with this story. <laughs> <laughs> But okay, but we have to focus on 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 them, on them too, okay? So yeah. that year, Valentino goes out to fight, and Marquez, as the champion, said, "No, I am the champion." So they started to have um, problems since the very beginning. Remember, then got, they had got, a clash. Got a little bit niggly, didn't it? They had a clash in Argentina. Remember, yes. where remember. Uh, <laughs> Valentino. Supposed to knock down Marquez. Well, pa, 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 this went on, this went on, this went on. Then we had another issue in uh, the Netherlands, hang, hang in Assen. Hang, hang on. Let's, let's just go back to Argentina for a second. So, <laughs> it's because Argentina that, was a big race. <laughs> that, that, was, that, was a, that was a very, very big race, that one. And, and that, was, that, that was quite clearly, and I think Dave and I have spoken about this one as well, that was quite clearly... Marquez doing a little bit too much to make up for the the the, the lost time. He came back through the through the field with a couple of laps to go. He he got up behind Rossi and he tried a dive bomb move up from behind him, clipped the back of Rossi's bike. Yeah, but he's lapping four but seconds was... a lap quicker. Yeah, but oh, he look, was. look at the end. The read of that was very simple. Valentino at this point said, "Enough." Yep. Okay, okay. He said, yep. "Enough." Now we are going to fight. Until then, they exactly. were like son, father and son, like Cat Stevens, yeah. father and son, father and son. Say I was onto something. <laughs> there you go. Can't tell the back. Exactly. But at, at that time, Valentino said enough. There started the real fight between them two, the real fight. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and, and this. Assen? And then this happened. In, then in Assen, Valentino won the race without doing. The last corner, jumping over the oh, yeah. the, the chicane, gravel. which upset a lot uh, Marquez, who at that point had already lost the championship because he had had a lot mm-hmm. of problems. Okay, so ping pong. Then another episode happened in uh, in Aragon, but this was between Pedrosa and Rossi, and another episode happened in Philip Island. Ping pong. Oh, really? I so must have missed that one. <laughs> we are too drunk in the bar. Were you drunk, us, yeah. I remember that year absolutely crystal clear. Um, and I'll let you finish, Manuel, because that was that was one of those moments in my MotoGP career where something uh, clicked 
for me, and I'm, I'm hoping you'll hit it. So sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. you go through. Well, in, in Australia, there are different versions depending who you listen to and who do you want to listen to. Okay, so <laughs> can't let the truth get in front of a good story, in the way of a good story. So at the end, uh, when they arrived in Malaysia after the issue in Australia, the tense, the tension was extreme. Valentino was yeah. absolutely furious with the situation because he he thought or realized, depending who you listen to that the Spanish mafia was trying to avoid him winning the championship, right? Yeah, yeah I remember that. So, yeah. What? It, yeah, it, because he, he there were, a, there were a, a lot of... by Dorna. A lot of Spanish riders, and he thought that they were blocking him, especially Mark and his teammate, blocking him to uh, win the championship. Valentino was racing against his teammate, another Spaniard, Jorge Lorenzo. So he had the feeling that it was blocking him. So what happened then? In uh, in uh, in Sepang, this exploded into the climax of the... Of all climaxes. Yeah, <laughs> it exploded. There was yeah. Marquez... Look, Marquez tried... Valentino was racing to win the championship. Marquez had no chances, but even so, Andra, during the race, Marcus tried to um, block Valentino. Mm -hmm. right? I think I watched that. Lots That's one times. that I did watch. Exactly. And if you realize in that, uh, if you have seen the race, you will, I don't remember how many times Marcus passed Valentino in one lap. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is not forbidden, but this is something that has not to be done. Mm -hmm. If somebody is racing for a championship and you don't have a choice, there is no sense just to uh, f f you him for yeah. nothing. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just leave them to it. Let let them let them let them be go gentlemanly and, the and just yeah. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. that's a, a non-written sport rule. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. He was doing it because he could. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he could, and but there was no sense because he was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the end was that the uh, Valentino forgot that he was racing, and they entered into. He sucked a... him in. He he really sucked him in to the yeah, battle. Yeah, and he forgot. And for me, what I think, what I wrote at that time, it, it's Valentino. At the end, it was like uh, they were racing in a supermarket parking. Yes. parking you know <laughs> because they were just like pam pam and at the end i don't know if yeah. there was a kick or no was a kick again depending mm -hmm. on who you listen to but valentino throw a mark uh, on the floor and the ran, hell ran him wide. He the hell opened there the hell opened yeah. that night for us mm -hmm. as journalists was incredible incredible <laughs> imagine. that would have been exciting times you didn't have to search for the story the search that the story was coming through the door to you yeah <laughs> look uh, and look after the race valentino finished the race so the race the race direction and they they called both rider to have mm -hmm. a discussion so the first to arrive privately was... or in public no, no, privately, but there is nothing mm -hmm. privately. <laughs> Doesn't <laughs> exist. As David knows very well, as David knows very well, there is no privacy. Yeah. Well, uh, 
they were called to the race direction. The first to arrive was Marcus because he had finished the race before mm -hmm. the rest. So there he mm -hmm. was sitting on the sofa waiting uh, for the arrival of Valentino. Valentino smart him, Italian him. It took quite a while for him appearing there, you know? <laughs> Now mm -hmm. I go here, I go there, yeah, I have to yeah, do a pee. When I had, when I had a shower, didn't he? <laughs> well, so the conversation between them wasn't uh, very elegant, especially from Valentino to, mm -hmm. to Marcus. Bastard was the best word that was heard uh, in that room. Yep. <laughs> and uh, it was like Valentino, hey, nice race, Mark. And the other one saying, nice kick, Valentino. And so on. So what happened at the end, Valentino was not penalized. I mean, Valentino was not penalized in that race. He got the full points. He got everything. But he was penalized to start in the following race from the last position of the championship. And that, yeah. that following race was the last race. And they basically took away from him the chance to win the championship. Exactly. All right. And there started, uh, obviously, the friendship, if there was anything completely got it. Valentino was so upset. Look, and I don't know if the right word, maybe he, he hates from that moment on uh, Mark Marquez, but really hates him, you know? Mm. So, and... I know, or I can perfectly imagine that if there is a moment where he can pay back, he will do it. Doesn't matter that it happened five years ago or it happened 10 years ago. Yep. Because Valentino, he thinks, no, he thinks no. He feels, he is convinced that Marquez has stolen him his 10th world championship. Yep. But even too, wow. it's like that attack on integrity or something. Like if, if, Rossi feels that Mark has you know, like been ungentlemanly and done these things for a different reason. It's attacking more than, you know, he's raced for years. They have their unspoken rules and the way you go about things that, and he's obviously so serious and passionate about what he does. That's attacked that mm. by the sounds of it. Uh, I mean, the, the thing is though, as Dave will quickly point out here and I'm, uh, you know, I'll, I'll put my hand up and, and agree. Rossi isn't blameless in any of this. It's not as if Rossi has never done this, maybe not to that extent, but he, he's done things to other riders in his youth as well that okay. may have been brash, they, they may have been reckless. And so he's been on the other side of that equation when he, when he was younger as well. So he's I mean, not completely blameless I mean, the blameless file on Rossi, I mean, you only have to pull up Sede uh, Gibinau. The, the oh, I was going to say Gibinau, yeah. The, the amount of damage that Rossi put across him. Um, oh, yeah. It's... It's just the, the worm coming back. Look, look, I tell you something. One uh, before the uh, before the start of the Malaysian Grand Prix 2015, while everything exploded, Valentino tried to apply to Mark Marquez the same medicine he had applied to riders that he had kicked out of the championship. And uh, look, oh. Valentino made a guy called Max Biaggi leave the championship, mentally mm -hmm. destroyed. Valentino yeah. destroyed mentally a guy called Sete Givernau. Completely. Twice runner-up in MotoGP. It was Valentino Rossi who sent home your Casey Stoner, mm -hmm. 
who was True. fed yeah. up of Valentino's power inside the paddock. This mm -hmm. is a mafia thing. No, it's... Uh, well, so what <laughs> happened before the race? Look, it was very interesting because before the race, Valentino appeared in the press conference and criticized harshly Mark Marquez, trying to condition his racing, you know, like pushing, pushing, like he was... But what he didn't realize is that Marquez wasn't Biaggi, wasn't Stoner, wasn't mm -hmm. Sete. He didn't he realize that that Mark Marquez was him. Push back. Was like, like him. father, like son. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. So this, <laughs> this is what Valentino completely mistook. Mm -hmm. His strategy. Him. Yeah. His strategy to uh, to try to, to, to beat Marquez. He completely, uh, you know, he did it wrong. But when he realized it was too late. Going back and watching Phillip Island, I've watched that race a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. The thing that clicked for me then and still clicks for me now is that the ease in which Mark controlled that race. He didn't win, but he was controlling the order in which um, in, in, the, in the final third of, of that race, he, he was controlling. And I think that for, for Valet, realising that that was the first time where he was essentially outgunned. Like he knew that he, that was probably the first time in my mind where he could see the loss of control from, from, from a winning perspective. And I think that's why, in my opinion, that's why he came out so aggressively in Malaysia because it clicked for him from what happened oh, he, in Phillip he, Island and his lack yeah, of control he, in that. Because when well, four laps out, Mark just disappeared. He'd been holding three and a half, four seconds a lap back, and he, he, all he wanted to do was disrupt hmm. Valentino long enough um, to let Jorge go. Yep. Yeah, th this is true. Look, Valentino saw there the confirmation that something between the Spaniards was happening. Absolutely. There was a, a group and he yes. realized because he lapped in the last lap, I think, if I don't remember bad, he lapped seven tenths faster than in the rest of the race, which yes. meant that he was reserving something. Obviously, he said no. He said that the tire had uh, cooled down because he was riding slow, well, whatever. You know, whatever. It whatever. magically got better, yeah. 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 So well, they didn't come off and, and kick Marquez. They're like, it's just a statement. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> like, claro. So at the end, look, at the end, what happened is that Valentino lost his 10th title, which also happened because uh, in the last race, Marquez raced clearly in favor of his uh, rival, of Jorge Lorenzo, clearly. Yep. And, well, this is something that uh, Valentino will never, ever forgive. Never, ever. You know, when the, the years later, after that, there were many occasions where they say, hey, shake hands with Mark Marquez and so on. <laughs> and yeah. Valentino said no. And, you know, and people are trying to get the impossible. They are trying to get What are all the other riders, have any of the other riders kind of taken sides or jumped in on this or... Yeah, basically most of them are on Valentino's side because they are riders and they know what... What happens? They know that uh, Marquez did all what was in his hand for mm -hmm. Valentino not winning the championship, not even mm -hmm. for winning him, which is mm -hmm. something that should be accepted for another yeah. one to win. 
He didn't get mm. out and, and he didn't say, let them decide between them who is going to be the best. He, yep. took he still wanted to have some control, some some say in, mm. in who won the world championship. Well, that to finish our story, uh, if you if you don't mind, we go to our last phase, and it, this is where at the beginning we were talking about the last phase of of this uh, misunderstanding. I call it frustration, okay? Mm-hmm. And again, it might sound and frustration is um, in this case linked with Mark Marquez, yep. right? He has won six titles in seven years in MotoGP. He mm-hmm. is a uh, the best rider by far. He has shown things that are amazing, but the championship is still Valentino Rossi's house. Yeah, exactly. And this is something that frustrates and you can understand it very easy. Imagine if you are in your job, the best, the best, the best, and yep. the record, another one who is gets the recognition. So for yeah. Marquez, it's, it must be so frustrating that he wants to be the power. He wants to be, he wants to say that he famous... He wants to be Valentino Rossi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, How re- hard do I have to work before I get recognized? Re- yeah. Remember, remember the phrase, the sentence, the sentence said the first time he met, I have a lot of power in this paddock. If you have any problem, come to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. yeah. And it's still the same. Yeah. Maybe Mark should go to Valet again and see if he can help him with and him out. And, and give him another replica. Another replica. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you're right. Like Valet hasn't won a title since four years before Mark even threw his leg over a MotoGP bike. And since then, Mark has won all but one title. And and still, as you say, eighty and ninety percent of the grandstands are blue and yellow. Yeah, and Stu. If I ask you who is the voice of the paddock, who do you are looking for when oh. there is a race? Who, let, let's see what what says. Uh, I ride a good race. Oh. Uh, it's the, the beautiful right, so, voice. So, so let's get, let, let's get into some highly contentious issues. And I know that this is something that we've touched on in in the standard um, pod, but. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Marquez fan. It says, but if you dig beneath that, I'm actually a HRC fan. I actually don't care who is on the bike. I, I'm one of those people who is, is manufacturer loyal over, over rider. So I actually don't care. The thing that I worry about is, it is, is, is that brand loyalty to Valentino when he goes. You're saying that it's 70 and 80% of the paddock and he's the voice of the paddock. What is life after Valentino look like? Hmm. I think that's that is what Dorna asked themselves uh, for years. You know, <laughs> yeah. the good thing of Valentino is that he has approached to motorcycle racing people who had never thought about motors. It's him, his personality. Look at Andra with his yellow cap. <laughs> 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 and it was quick too, wasn't it? But it isn't it isn't isn't it in Dorna's best interest to build Marquez Empire as quickly as possible to fill some of that vacuum of, of when Rossi's out the door? Isn't Rossi going to be pressured by Carmelo to to help build that in the interest of the sport? Is that where Staying Dorna will go with somehow. that? Uh, David, hang on. You say Dorna pressuring Valentino. Repeat, yeah. please repeat how many million he has in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> can, you, can you repeat this? I'm not just saying, I'm just putting it out there. Like, is, is this even possible or is it the other way around? 
Look, Valentino. So you, Donna <laughs> handing over a briefcase full of cash. This is Manuel starting to roll his own now. Va- Valentino like, is here. Valentino is here just because he likes this, not because yeah. of the money. Because he doesn't want power. It's him. It's he enjoys. And he has said two or three weeks ago that when he leaves motorcycle racing, he will do car racing five, six races a year. He will do yeah. Paris Dakar. He probably will do one rally. He has enough money, and imagine any uh, car brand would have would like to have him in one race. Oh, imagine yeah. how much. Okay, so no, back up, back up to the statement that you said about Valentino being having empathy. Do you think he has any empathy for the potential damage that his departure is going to have on MotoGP, or do you think he he feels as though he's he's able to walk? Question. <laughs> attention! Good. It's a shame that our listeners don't see. The Italian hand language. Look, it's like this. <laughs> <laughs> Which means him, that he, think. he doesn't care. Yeah. Really? After all of that, it's just going to be, yep, I'm on to the next chapter. David, David look, luck. again, who that? do you think owes more? Do you think that Valentino thinks the championship owes him? I mean... That's not a question. Or do you, question that, that. Uh, do you think that... Do you think that... Uh, Valentino thinks, wow, I owe the championship. It's the other way around. So Valentino... He said he's given so much. Claro. So much. Mm. But but we as humans are at our best when we don't think of ourselves as... sole entity. We give ourselves to something... (laughs) We give ourselves to something bigger. So in that case, how how do we change that conversation? How do we change that mindset? I mean, you know, we as as an entity, like Dorna... because they, they can't bully him. They Look, can't the, bribe him. So how do they keep him in the sport? No, keeping him in the sport is not the point. The point is not losing uh, spectators and fans when he leaves, right? Yes. When he stops racing. Yeah. I tell you yeah. something, and this is also a personal, this is a personal thinking. Marcus will carry the backpack of what happened in 2015 all his career. All his career. Wow. Okay. And, and his fans will carry it, and they will hold a grudge. And, and this will be all, only forgotten if Valentino's fans disappear from MotoGP. Huh. Do you think that'll be the cleansing? But they could evolve like the Mayans <laughs> and all go off together. <clears throat> Do you? But, 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 but look, they, just think something. Purge. Do you think that any of the Valentino fans will forgive Marcus? Or will no. turn no, in, no, no, no. no. So he will have eighty percent of the people that go to the circuit, seventy percent against him. Always yeah, they still stick around. They're, they're, they're going to be. They're just going to be there to be grumpy and and yell. Sure, I mean, they love to be no fun that much now. After <laughs> so we have to wait all them to go away or to to celebrate a eightieth birthday, maybe. Yeah, a couple of generations should sort <laughs> yeah. it out. They, they go and roll them around again every 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 year at, at Magello. They'll, they'll roll them around again. So, so yeah, this is a very clear uh, timeline of uh, you know Valet's rise to power, um, his his definite um, time in the sun, mm-hmm. the the apprentice coming along, the apprentice uh, choosing to replicate. Um, yep. to, to model everything upon the master. Does this mean I can and move it, to Spain and and I can do the same? I'll be absolutely right. Yes, I, I was hoping you'd pick up on this. Okay. Out you go, <laughs> Manuel. In, in, in 20 years' time, we'll be doing a special <laughs> yep. on Andrew and Manuel. 
Oh, Our MotoGP journalism got ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's in one language only. Aussie Bogan, that's all you get. <laughs> and if you go through it, realistically, at its core, this is a story of innocence lost, really, isn't it? Because you look with, with, the, with the seven words that you've put down there, Manuel, that, that traces the Marquez story all the way through, it starts out as being innocent. It's, you know, he's got devotion and admiration and he wants to model his career on his hero and then he wants to take the challenge and then it goes really, it goes quite dark and negative when he's he's targeting Valet and he's assaulting Valet and he's getting frustrated by Valet. That innocence is completely It's almost gone. like he's had to sell his soul to the devil it, to, exactly. to, to get what he wants. He's yeah. gotten exactly what he's won, but it's come at yeah. a huge cost. Look, look uh, to, I think to finalise, the, the reflection is the following. Marquez, sport-wise, has won everything. There is nothing mm. more. He just can add more to what he got. Yep. So as a sportman, now what does a sportman uh, look for when he has got everything? The last frontier. The last frontier is to have the, that he is recognized as the sport. You understand? Yes. The reference yeah. of the sport. He might be the reference yep. inside the track and a sport light, but he's not the reference in the other aspect that we all, all know. Yep. And he's held that for yeah, quite a considerable number of years. So he had that, that mantle and that title as the statesman of the, of the sport for, what, three, four years before Mark arrived. Mm. Um, so it's got to be incredibly hard for Mark exactly. up against that. It's almost, exactly. uh, almost as though he's fighting an invisible enemy. Exactly. Uh, yeah. One, yeah. How much of it affects him off the track as well? Like, are they? Li- I can't remember now. We did speak about where certain riders live because this is their life on track, off track. Mm. How much does it affect him when they're not racing? Uh, when they are not racing, when they are together, it's very interesting to see in any place or any room or any where both mm-hmm. appear. You know, both appear yeah. together. You know where mm-hmm. the or the attention goes to. Mm. When uh, here in Spain, obviously, he is a big fan and Honda, remember that behind him is all this big machine that called Honda to make him promotion, Papa. but he knows the reality. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you know, we each other know which are our defects. Nobody has to tell them to us, but it's the same. He knows what he is missing. And probably it's the thing that he would like to have most because mm. all the rest he got, he got, he has probably a four-year contract where he's making how much? 25 million or yeah. even more in these four yeah. years? I think that more. 100 million over four years. Yeah. Four years? No, at least, at least minimum, look, 15, 60 million he will make in these uh, four years. Yeah. But see, it's not about money, is it? Like we no, said, not about money, not, not about winning. Yeah. It's about mm. uh, how do you say? Re- re- be recognized. Oh, recognized. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Recognition. Mm. Yes. Okay, so you, we, we've got two very stark characters in front of us. At the at the top of the episode, it was um, you know, as I said, clearly a Marquez fan by the the machinery he rides and I've the shirt you're wearing. Uh, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Andra. Thank you, Andra. This <laughs> because they Dave's yeah. speech is going is was half uh, like this, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Stu's, you know, quite obviously a valet fan as, as Andrew is just dressed head to toe in yellow. 
that's and funnily enough, Dave, I came from the same camp as you. I What's was that? I was a HRC fan for for years and years and years. Yep. That's that's where I started, and then when Dylan retired and then and Valet came through, it was only then that I really switch. Yeah. I switched. Saw the from... light. You saw the light. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah. You know. So the the question goes out to to Manuel. Where does Manuel's twenty seven years of following the sport fall on these two gentlemen? How do you how do you sum them both up? Where where does so you've obviously got your journalistic take on this. Where's your heart? Where does your heart? Yeah. Yeah, look, my oh. ex-wives asked me the same for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Where is your heart? <laughs> oh, Manuel. So, David, you, get you, the same response? you come up with this question as well. <laughs> I've got a sneaking feeling that I know from listening to you talk before. I've got a sneaking feeling that I know. And there's one writer, isn't there, that made a comment. I can't remember if this was while we were recording or in the green room that there's one writer that made a comment that there's one journalist that really knows. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Mm. At, re- at, yep. at least who really knew. Now I don't know if he, he knows anymore. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> so for those for so those that have paid uh, some, some good euros to listen, listen to hear Manuel finally tell us, where is your heart? Ah. Look, my heart, now, now, my heart is uh, 46, but wow. I, ad- admire, I admire and he conquers me, mm-hmm. is Mark. I tell you something that happened with me, with me and Mark very strange. Sometimes I, I get fed up of seeing that uh, perfect Mark, always smiling, always, okay? mm-hmm. and I, I realize he's uh, made in a laboratory Mm-hmm. It's a robot. Character. It's a robot. Yeah. But then yeah. I said, okay, I, I, I don't. Uh, I, I'm being very aseptic with him. But then he jumps on the bike, and hey, heads off. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we like racing. When we see, if we like racing, when we see Mark, you can't admire him, and you can't just take your head off. What with what he does, L- what he did in Berno. Last year, yeah, it's yeah. something that you have to uh, save on your computer and, and watch that a hundred times. One lap, mm. one lap in Berno. And I tell you something: I, everyone in the paddock, everyone, all the riders, all the mechanics, they were so shocked with what he did in Berno. And if you mention them, Berno 2019, everyone will know what happened there. And they yeah. say, "Look, do you want to, Andrew? Do you did you do you know about this?" I was about to say, "Everyone but Andrew." Andrew, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, just, I just wrote it down though, so I can um, go and. Do you find want to give out. give her the give her the twenty second version, Manuel? But it's the practice session. Okay. Uh, on Saturday, the last lap, the last lap. It's it's like uh, Martian, you know, a Martian on a bike. <laughs> Yeah, the, they refer to them as aliens, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. one was 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 at the track that day. Okay, um, what did he do? Even when you have the likes of Miller, who's pretty good on the on the comments, and he said that there was there was there was Mark, and then there was the rest of the rest of the grid. He said because there, there is no way that anyone can get near him that weekend, uh, and to yeah. to have uh, to have Jack say that in front of his press officer. Um, Pretty big. Yeah, it was just daylight, second, third, and yeah. fourth. Yep. Damn. They, they mm. knew they'd been conquered. So, 
Let's wrap it up there. That's been absolutely fantastic, Manuel. You've copped some criticism in the last couple of years um, from some of your readers calling you, you know, the the, the Marquez fanboy, um, love child. Uh, you, you said you've copped a lot of criticism, but I think this episode will put a lot of that to bed. With yeah, your heart is with with uh, Valentino, so um, yeah. But, but uh, look, Mark I, has to be recognised for his efforts. I was the. Look, I tell you the last story that was when in Malaysia this happened. Remember the the clash. Mm-hmm. The president of the fan Valentino's fa, uh, fan club entered in the press room yelling at me. <laughs> ah, you're Spaniard! What are no. you going to tell her? I was looking at him. I, so. <laughs> He just assumed. Yeah, yeah, no, because he were selecting people due his passport, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. So exactly. it was very uncomfortable situation and stupid because he didn't know what he was doing. But yeah. it was that that night it went really crazy, you know, that something very bad could have happened in that paddock because they were completely radicalized, you know? Mm-hmm. And people mm-hmm. were classified really? by being Spaniards or being Italian. Yep. Yep. It, wow. And it's not like Italians to be emotional and led from the heart, is it? Not at all. Yeah. Or Spaniards, for that matter. <laughs> or yeah, any no, Europeans. It was a, a, re, a real situation that could have ended in something really mm. bad. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But Wonderful. we've come through that and uh, now... Now look at the championship that we have. Yeah, now here we are. Is, are we going to be having a conversation in a couple of years about Marquez and Quattararo, one being the master, one being the apprentice? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's save that yes. for another. Let's save that for another episode. Possibly, possibly. In that case, I'll go for the one with the coolest hair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What do we predict for the rest of 2020? Uh, like, because uh, we we have seen a bit of a a bit of a cooling of I suppose of the of the aggression you know, to the point where we, we've, we've seen them talk in the last year. So do we expect 2020 to be a little bit cooler, a little bit more respectful? They, they both seem to have found some respect again. Let me, let me, uh, I have to, it's like, ha, <laughs> 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 We've gone back to the broccoli thing again, haven't we? There you go. <laughs> There's your, there's your header. Have they respect, found respect again? Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Manuel, thank you very much. With Manuel you, shaking his head. Thank you. It's Manuel, a pleasure. thank you so much for that. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, dialing in for this one. We're going to make these uh, semi-regular so that if you if you like what you've heard, we'll have the comments open for, uh, for this one. So feel free to share in the uh, comments section. Thank you for your support. Um, Manuel puts the image of a Lamborghini driving, uh, Learjet flying a journalist. The reality is quite the opposite. Uh, the benefits from this podcast, uh, will be going to directly supporting him to get the good news and jam back to you guys. Mm-hmm. So the effort that you're putting in here and the contribution and the generosity that you're providing here is directly supporting Manuel and, uh, his uh, insight to the sport we love. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. This is the first of the specials. Um, Please stay safe in these challenging times. We'll speak to you on the uh, regular podcast. Take care. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Stay safe.